Welcome to the Lutheran Outdoor Ministry Podcast. This is the place to be to hear all the latest news and information about the world's finest outdoor ministry network. And now, as always, here's your host, the Executive Director of Lutheran Outdoor Ministries, Mr. Don Johnson. Hi, everybody throughout LOM Nation. It's great to connect with you again. And we have an absolutely fantastic person to interview today. And that's none other than the legendary figure of Mr. Keith Johnson. And as many of you know, Keith just retired recently from serving for many years as the executive director of Novus Way, which is Camps Luther Ridge, well, Camp and Conference Centers, Luther Ridge, Luther Rock, Luther Ranch, and Luther Springs throughout the Southeast. And uh, he had an absolutely fantastic career in outdoor ministry that spreads out even before that. Keith is going to be focusing mostly on something that's become part of his new endeavor since retiring from executive directorship. And that is uh, focusing on the work he does through his new uh, endeavor called Board Coach. And Keith has a passion for helping organizations, and particularly Lutheran Outdoor Ministry organizations, in terms of uh, uh, getting better at making sure we have the kind of boards of directors that we need in order to be operating with maximum effectiveness. So Keith, welcome. Thank you for your all of your ministry. Thank you for the ministry you're involved in now. And I'm going to start by asking you, Keith, to just let us know a little bit about your journey through the outdoor ministry world, where it started, how it began, how you ended up doing what you're doing now as the person who is the organization called Board Coach. Sure, Don. Uh, way back when I was in college, I felt called to some kind of service in the church. I didn't know what it would be, but I did enroll in seminary because most everyone went to seminary that was wrestling with a call. And I served as a youth director prior to seminary. And within about three months, I realized the parish was not the place for me. But I went on, I went to um, seminary. Uh, after, as I was serving as a youth director, my first task the pastor gave me was to bring kids to camp. And I had never been to camp. I'd never been a counselor, uh, but I visited every child in their home and their parents. And we ended up bringing 13 kids to camp and their lives were transformed. Kids that didn't want to pray out loud or sing or come to youth group. They were just having the time of their lives. This was White Earth Lutheran Camp in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. And after that week, I thought, this is the place that God has for me. And then through a whole series of circumstances, I went to a little camp called Lake of the Woods Bible Camp while I was at Workbird Seminary, four months every summer at the camp, eight months at seminary. And that's what launched me into outdoor ministries. Uh, I wanted to travel and see the world. So my first call was back in northern Minnesota, where I was from. It, it wasn't where I was expecting to go, but my wife and I had nine good years there. And that was a small rural camp, uh, one um, uh, part of the northern Minnesota district. 
And then I had a sabbatical and visited my brother in California, my sister-in-law and her family in Texas. And I discovered the weather was a lot warmer in the South than it was in Northern Minnesota. And, and uh, a year after I got back from sabbatical, I ended up in Southern California. When the Berlin Wall went down, the economy collapsed in Southern California. And we had master plans, we had visions for the future, but we just had unemployment, we didn't have funds. And all of a sudden I got called to the Southeastern US and I was there 24 years. So I've been at small camps, I've been at large camps in between, in rural areas, in urban areas. And my life really has been enriched beyond what I ever expected when I began that journey back in 1974. From Southern California, mm -hmm. Carolina, mm -hmm. uh, what, what was involved in that change? In the Southeast, um, Luther Ridge and Luther Rock, it was just two sites back then. They'd been going through a tough transition. And I was friends with the national director, Jerry Olsted, and he thought they needed someone who was more of an entrepreneur because the old ways weren't working as well as they used to. And I went and interviewed, not expecting that I would be called there, but it, it was 24 unbelievably good years. Yeah. Talk about unbelievably good years and with um, such an, uh, an incredibly thriving and vibrant outdoor ministry at uh, Novus Way. It all started at Luther Ridge, I know, but has expanded to three other sites throughout the Southeast. And I think um, it's probably your ministry at uh, Novus Way that has... Um, most of us in LOM are most familiar with you uh, from that, and also the the reason why you are such a legendary figure among us in LRM. But uh, Keith, in that journey, uh, you've obviously been involved in a number of different outdoor ministries. You've been in outdoor ministries when they've been struggling, and outdoor ministries when they've been thriving. What are some of the things that you've learned along the way in that journey that you think could be most helpful to outdoor ministry leaders now? Well, several things. I think the first thing is when I started out, I thought it was up to me. I thought, especially at that small little summer camp, Lake of the Woods, that if anything was going to happen, it was going to be me uh, to do it. And, and then what I discovered is I had been a youth director. I tried to learn to play the guitar and I could get the chords, but I have no rhythm. So I couldn't lead songs, but I discovered I could find someone else to play guitar and lead songs. And, and I think what I learned is that I could trust others and invest in other people that I didn't have to do it all myself. And I would surround myself with gifted people who were more capable than I was. And that took the pressure off of me, uh, but it also allowed them to use their gifts and abilities. And then something else is I've been able to focus on the future. I think so often as directors were just involved trying to keep the uh, fires going and everything running. Uh, in fact, just recently when we were at the national conference, Dick Sather, who was honored with the Man Love Howell Award said when he first started, they were just trying to survive. 
And now we're beyond just surviving and it's time that, that we can thrive. And, and I think the key to that is a strong board. Um, and LOM has a great process in place to train staff. There are good consultants to help in many areas, but there really hasn't been a system in place that's been successful to trade boards. So my focus uh, right now is that I think the biggest contribution I can make to LOM is to help boards um, share their gifts and abilities. Because I like to think of leading as like we're on a, in a twin engine plane. And why would you just run, run on one engine, on the staff engine? You need the board engine too. And when both engines are working well, that plane can fly farther and longer than if just one engine, and then it's struggling along. I love the analogy of the two engine plane. And um, I, I mean, because that just emphasizes what, what you just identified as two of your most important learnings along the way. It's not just me and focus on the future. Focusing on the future for an individual, that can't be just me. It's got to be the corporate entity of the whole organization that's doing that kind of focus. So um, it, it all fits into place as I see it. So, and I found, Don, that, that uh, boards want to focus on the future. They don't just want to come in and rubber stamp. They want to dream and have visions. And as I've been training boards, they've been willing to make second mile gifts just to pay for their own training. So I, I really think we've, we've, we've not put the time and energy into the boards. When we do it right, boards will push staff rather than staff pushing boards. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, the cultivation of a strong board, uh, much of that responsibility lies within the board itself. But for a moment right now, what can you tell all of our folks throughout LOM about your ideas on what can an executive director do to cultivate a strong board? with whom that executive director is working? That's a good question, Don. And you're right, the board has to accept responsibility for itself, but it's the director that's doing a lot of the behind the scenes work and driving that process. So the first thing I would say is the director should put, put as much time into the board as he or she does with staff. And that's hard to do because the staff are right there. But, but I think the, the director has to have their notebook constantly. Wherever they go, they got to be thinking about who are the very best people in this constituency that can serve on the board. So when they're sitting with a pastor in a congregation, they ought to be saying, do you have any visionary leaders here? As they're meeting with the bishop, wherever they go, they ought to, um, they ought to be thinking about that. And then once they have a board member, I think they need to sit down with them every year and help that board member define what the year would be like for them to have a big success on the board. So what are their contributions? How can they help? And then I think, uh, and I'm not tooting my own horn here, but I think a director can use a professional to come in and help train a board because boards listen to someone from the outside better than they listen to their own director. And the meeting model that I would recommend, 
I know it's not possible everywhere, is that at every board meeting, there'd be worship, there'd be fellowship whenever possible, an overnight retreat, as well as a meeting. Because studies have shown that if people like each other, if they get to know and trust each other, they'll be far more effective than if they're just coming in for a two-hour meeting and turning around and, and, and driving home. So I don't know if there's any secrets in that, but if, if I were a director again, my goal would be to have the very best people in the constituency serve on the board so that that was the board in the Senate that everyone wanted to be on. As I hear what you've just been saying here, I mean, it's amazing how often in outdoor ministry in particular, but ministry in general, it all boils down to relationships. And we do such a great job in outdoor ministry at cultivating relationships. And one of the things that it seems to me, though, that where we don't use the skills we have is in cultivating relationships within the board, the board, which is probably what you're saying is one of the ultimately most important, if not the most important groups to cultivate a strong relationship among each other with. So it's, it's just amazing in my mind to hear how, uh, once again, it comes back to building building relationships. And we're in the retreat business. So why, if we're in the retreat business, wouldn't we want board members to experience the retreat when they come to meet and build those relationships, not just with the executive director, but with each other. And that's one of the paybacks they can have where they're putting a lot of time and energy into serving. I like to think of board meetings as a pep rally where you're coming together to celebrate with each other, to be energized for the days and, and the tasks ahead uh, so that board members would leave energized, just feeling excited about their role and responsibilities. Thinking about it as a pep rally, how do you line that up with the idea that a board of directors is often dealing with issues that members of the board will have disagreements with each other about could conceivably become contentious issues if we're focusing on being a pep rally all the time isn't there a danger of um of submersing those things that um we might not be agreeing with each other about well i think there's some truth in that but i think the bigger the issue the, more, the greater the number of meetings the issue needs to be considered at. So if, if there were a major um, issue that needs to be faced, I wouldn't want to just bring that up at one board meeting. I'd want it talked about at two meetings or over a longer period of time. So that if you're, if you're looking at the big picture, you're looking at where you're headed. So for instance, in that way, I think a strategic vision and a strategic plan have to guide what's happening for the ministry. Because then if you have your eyes focused on the future, on where you're trying to go, there's much less of a chance that there are contentious issues that are gonna drive you apart. And if everyone likes each other and trusts each other, feel safer in disagreeing, so they're disagreeing at the meeting instead of a parking lot meeting. So it doesn't take away that but it, it, it helps to align where you're, where you're headed. You reflected in some very practical ways on what 
executive directors can do to cultivate a strong board of directors. To the members of boards of directors, because members of boards of directors, by the definition of LOM, also individual members of LOM. It's not just an organization whose membership is the, the staff, the outdoor ministry practitioners. It's also a membership, uh, uh, the individual members of LOM are members of boards of directors. What advice do you have for any board members who might be listening in on this podcast about what board members can do to cultivate a strong board of directors that they are a member of? Sure. Well, okay. The first is I would say to a board member, don't wait to be asked to do something. Volunteer. When you have gifts and abilities, step forward and offer to share those gifts and abilities on the board. They say there's two keys to retaining an executive director. Number one is the board's support, that the director feels the board is supporting him or her. And then secondly, that the board is engaged in the ministry. So if, if you are a director, a board member, and you feel you have an excellent director, the more engaged you are in the ministry, the more you are supporting staff, the more they will feel affirmed. The board ought to be a cheerleader. When they come to the camp and they have a good meal, they ought to thank, go to the uh, food service people and thank them. They, if they see a housekeeper, they ought to say, man, you are doing a great job. My room was really clean and I appreciate it because boards have tremendous power over staff and they have to exercise that carefully. On the other hand, I think the board should push the staff. I used to think it was my job to push the board. And I think the board's vision with the director will be bigger than just the director's vision on their own. And then I would try to create a culture of accountability where there's an annual review for the director, not a, a time to wonder if she or he will keep their job, but just to look back where they've been, to look ahead where they're going. And it should be a mutual review, how the board is doing, how the director is doing, so that you create a strong partnership. And I'll tell you, as an executive director, that's a great feeling when you feel the board is in the pool with you and you're not the one that's performing and they're sitting on the sidelines and watching, but you're all giving it your, I mean, each of you are giving your all. Really, really good advice. And from my observation over many years of outdoor ministry leadership, uh, it's right on target. Would you say a little bit, though, about um, the board and the executive director working together? And yet they are separate entities. What are some of the most important boundaries that you feel are important for boards and executive directors to respect as they deal with each other? Sure. There, there are three central functions. The board holds the staff accountable. Staff manages the day-to-day -day, and then planning for the future is a joint exercise. So those three need to be held in creative tension. And, and then secondly, there is a paradoxical relationship. The board supervises the executive director, but the executive director is the cheerleader and the coach for the board. So those creative tensions always need to be need to be out front. One of the things I would say that'll help avoid problems is developing executive limitation policies. That's a term coined by John Carver. And basically 
what those policies are, they define how you keep the executive director out of the ditches, how you keep them headed in the right direction going down the road by telling that director what they cannot do. Then everything else is fair game. So for example, you might say to the director, you can't buy property, you can't acquire new loan, but you get better terms on a loan, go right ahead and refinance that. Don't have to come back for the board approval. So, so I think executive, by limiting what the executive can do, you're actually freeing him or her up to be able to do more. And then I think this is an obvious one, but some boards forget this. They only supervise the executive director. They don't supervise other staff. So they shouldn't be going to the camp and telling the maintenance people, here's what you ought to be doing, or telling the program people, here's what you ought to be doing. They only go to the director and they only supervise the director as the board. No one member supervises the board, only the corpus board. I also think if I were the executive director, I'd be the only staff person at a board meeting unless I needed their expertise on a particular topic. Because I think when you have too many staff there, then you have the potential uh, uh, for problems. And then I mentioned this before, but the board is only the board when it's meeting. Otherwise, they're a volunteer. And in our camps, I think board members have to wear two hats. I think the one hat is when you're the board member. The other hat is when you're the volunteer. And if you're a volunteer, you're not working for the board, then you're working for staff. Let me, let me give you an example. I had uh, um, a man on our board who shared an executive search firm. Whenever I was hiring a new staff position, he assisted me, not as the board member, but as Larry, the executive staff search firm. And he was marvelous. He would do interviews, he would do recommendations, and it was a tremendous asset. And he was so pleased to use his gifts and abilities but he knew he was doing that just to help me as a volunteer and not to help the board. So that I think would help avoid some of the problems. Are there any other typical common mistake that you've observed that in your opinion are mistakes that executive directors typically or commonly are not unusually make when dealing with board of directors stuff? I think executives try to do it all. Yeah. They're, they're setting the agenda, they're setting the desired outcomes, and it's too easy to make the board a spectator when you do that. A, a book that's been very helpful to me is Governance is Leadership, and they have four types of leadership. Uh, one is no one's in charge. The board isn't doing its job and the director is not doing his or her job. Another one is the board has taken over, the director has no authority, but type four is basically a leadership monopoly by the director. Uh, and when I go into boards, I, I show them that slide and I say, where does your board most often work? Most boards say they're type four, which is the directors monopolizing the leadership. The goal is type two leadership, which is collaboration, where you're, where you're sharing and, and you feel a sense of mutuality. Also, the executive director doesn't need to get his or her own way. When I was young and starting out, I, just, I was that type four leader, and I discovered the board would let me do whatever I wanted to. But then 
going got tough, I'd look back and I'd be walking the plank. I'd be alone. They had let me go off there and they'd let me do that. But um, they, um, you know, they weren't invested. And then I think the executive has to walk, I mean, has to attract exceptional people on the board, people with gifts beyond what they have. Lastly, thank and affirm. I think the most important thing a director can do is affirm board members constantly for the good things they do and for their service because they're volunteers. So absolutely. What, what are some uh, common mistakes that you have observed boards of directors making as they interact and deal with the executive director? Too many boards feel their goal is to get a great executive director and then their job is done. And, you know, I just worked with a board this last year and I told them that's not the case. And I know they didn't agree with me. And so they just think we'll get a great director, then we'll let them run the show. Second is not leading through a strategic vision and plan. How will you get anywhere if you don't know where you're going? I think that the board agenda and everyone's work, board and staff, needs to be through that strategic vision, where you're going. Thirdly, not holding the executive director accountable. And that, that again, it's an, it should be an attitude of mutual trust where you're reviewing uh, each other's performance, not as a test, not as a fearful thing, but just making sure you're keeping on the right track. The biggest frustration of the executive director with the board is their lack of financial development involvement. There's a study uh, uh, leading, what's it called? Leading by design, I think it is. And they have found that by far and away, the biggest frustration of executive directors is boards aren't helping with uh, uh, raising the funds. So remember it's a twin engine plane, even with a great executive director, why would you wanna run just on one engine? Because you're so much better off with two engines. Your passion for effective boards of directors is obvious. And your knowledge is admirable. And, um, and Keith, I um, just think it's great that um, you've entered into this new chapter with your life and doing the kinds of things you're doing and helping people think about these things. Um, absolutely fantastic. And so as we get near the end of this, uh, this podcast, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm wondering if we could um, switch gears a little bit. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure that you would say that one of the reasons for such phenomenally successful ministry in like all of your places where you have served as executive director, but most recently at Nova's Way, is because of strong board and strong board relationship with staff, with the executive uh, director. Uh, let me ask you this. Since you have been retired from being the executive director at Novus Way, What's the thing you miss most about serving in that, in that way? Oh, what I miss most <clears throat> is the relationships I developed over the years. I could go anywhere in seven states in the Southeast 
And I had pastors and donors and volunteers that were friends. And I missed those people because I viewed I was their coach and I was helping them grow and develop and they were helping me. I grieve over those relationships because protocol is that I don't make any connections with people. Yeah. Uh, so that that I missed, um, which is one of the reasons I, I try to stay connected with the LOM community, because there's also a rich group of friendships, some over 40 years. And I just treasure those uh, relationships, the partnership and friendships that we've shared. I can relate to that. And I can also uh, warn you a little bit about five years from now when you walk around Luther Ridge and people say, who are you? Yes. <laughs> Who's Keith Johnson? Because <laughs> I've had that experience at Calumet. And, uh, but um, Keith, what do you miss least about what you uh, experience as an executive director? Well, two things. One is I was gone two or three nights a week from home. And because of a seven state area, my style was that I had to be there in person. Zoom is great, but I, I needed to be there. So I don't, I don't miss that. The other thing that I don't miss is even with a strong board, I still felt a lot of pressure. And uh, life has gotten incredibly simple this past year. And, and I, I, but I still feel I'm making a difference, but it's, it's life is a, a whole lot less pressure that I feel good. Zoom is okay. The phone is okay. Email is okay, but there's just nothing that compares to showing up in person. And that's what camp is showing up in person. Why would you ever want to go to camp uh, with a phone call? It's, it's a huge part of the magic. That's for sure. Keith, is there, I, Anything else before we close this down that you um, would like to add? Anything I haven't asked you about that you had hoped would be part of this podcast or any parting words at this yeah, point? I've always got words. Um, I, 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 shouldn't, I should have just not assumed. <laughs> That's right. I would want, if any board members listening, I'd want them to know that what they're doing is a holy calling. And First Peter uh, uh, chapter 2 talks about that, that, that being on the board is a holy calling from God. And I would hope everyone feels that sense of uh, call and privilege to be involved in a ministry that's touching and changing lives. And, and then I would say to boards that you can change your culture you can change your mindset where you take more responsibility for yourself. Don't just wait for the director. I'm not asking for conflict. I'm just saying a director will respond to boards that wanna, wanna do that. And understand that if you do your job as a board member right, it'll be a lot of work. Um, if anyone ever tells you it's not, that's not the truth but it'll be more satisfying and bring you more joy and a sense of accomplishment than you ever thought um, possible. So I would say to any board member, there's nothing better I think you can do with your life than serving on the board of Lutheran Outdoor Ministry. So embrace that and celebrate that and, and just be amazed at how God will use you and your board 
to change lives and help your ministry grow. Words of wisdom coming from years of experience. Thank you very, very much. I uh, look forward to seeing you around the LOM network. I'm very grateful to you for the work that you do uh, throughout LOM. I'm very grateful for the relationship that we've had over the years and that we continue to have now as we both are sort of in new chapters in our, our lives. I'm going to be in your neighborhood in a couple of weeks, hoping to get over to Luther Springs to have uh, a look at what's uh, changed there in the past few years. And uh, and so I'm sure we'll be seeing you uh, one place or another around this big, wonderful church. Thank you, Keith. I hope so. Thank you, Don. Yeah. Hey, have a good one. Thanks for listening to the only official Lutheran Outdoor Ministry podcast in the entire world. Until next time, check out the Lutheran Outdoor Ministries website or our Facebook page. So long for now from the Lutheran Outdoor Ministries World Headquarters. On behalf of Don Johnson, have a wonderful day.